0: And welcome to Entrepreneur's Talk Africa, the podcast where we talk about entrepreneurship, startups, and tech from the African continent. My name is Jean and I'll be your host for today's episode. And I have the pleasure to host today on the show, Joseph Rutakangwa, the founder and CEO of startup Wazi. Joseph, welcome on Entrepreneur's Talk Africa.
1: It is, it is such a pleasure to have you. How are you? Thank you for having me, Gerard. Thank you for having me. Huge honor to be here.
0: Joseph, to start, tell us a little bit about you. Who is the human being behind
1: The Entrepreneur? Yes, yes. Well, my name is Joseph Rutakangwa. I was born eight years in primary school in Uganda, and subsequently, you know, different countries across Africa, went back to Tanzania to do secondary education. Then towards the final years of secondary education, I was fortunate to get an opportunity to become an extension student in the U.S. After that, I went back to Tanzania and started doing community development projects. So before getting into community development projects, I tried to, because in the U.S., I built my skills in graphic design and video production. And I was doing a bit of gigs in the U.S., um, so when I went back to Tanzania, I tried to do that. First of all, I tried to get a job in graphic design, start doing community development projects. In the early days of that, I was 19 at that time. So community development projects were mostly, I saw was you have young people in the country who finish college or high school and, and they don't have jobs. So how about we figure out a way to create those jobs through agriculture, which is the low-hanging fruit, in the country but the problem there is access to water for irrigation so my project was raise money build pumps water pumps and then have these guys perform agricultural activities and sell so i decided to volunteer with the un and through that, I was able to now start doing these projects and they were very successful. And eventually I got an opportunity to go to Lehigh University for a summer program. That was a huge eye opener because I had experienced all the shortcomings of trying to help through the AIDS NGO style. And I saw that it's not sustainable. And the world of business introduced this whole new angle where if you empower people to build businesses if there's a fusion of capital, if people can build businesses, then it's more sustainable. So from that program, I started doing consulting and that's where my journey started.
0: And tell us a bit more about
1: Wazi. How do you tell us
0: all the experiences that build up towards Wrazi? What is it actually? What is Wazi, and
1: what is the problem that it is actually solving on the continent? Yeah, so when I was doing consulting for multinationals, my job was find the problem was getting hired to solve was find as a market in Africa that there's no way of there's no access to any consumer data on any of the markets in Africa. And whether it's like consumer data on demand, what consumers are using and so forth, always market data on what the players in the market and how much market share they have and revenue and the channels they're using. None of that data existed. The quickest places you started looking at were ministries like Ministry of Trade, Business, Commerce and all that. But all those bodies do not have any data. If they have, it's always like five years or 10 years old and not complete or inaccurate. Even National Bureaus of Statistics and so forth didn't have the data. So I started the multinational research firms like Nielsen, TNS, and so forth to do research and consulting. But the gap that they had is... The traditional research model uses, for instance, this model of getting panel 50 consumers in a city, obviously 5 million, and then using the 50 consumers based on their insights, you extrapolate on the city of 5 million. Is the exact data on outlets, sales outlets, where they can position their products and see growth in sales, exact data on locations, and like you want granularity and scale. Just a PDF report of 100 pages on whether or not Uh, This is what people think about your brands. They just need actual exact data on this is a retail outlet with export traffic. And this is where your competitors are selling the most. So you're placing your product here, like that's level of granularity. And no company in the world provides that level of granularity because in markets like Africa, the penetration of digital payments is 2% of retail outlets use percent cash-based transactions, which are offline. It's, it's very difficult to just plug a software. And we both had separate experiences of this problem, and we ended up, across many years before launching Ruazi, testing different ways of capturing data at scale. So you need to capture data at scale, at the lower costs, right? And at speed, like a very high speed. So we figured out a model where, right now, it's a, it's a marketing intelligence platform that we run, for multinational companies to access consumer data from emerging markets on who is buying what products at what price, from where, when, and why to help this company drive revenue and expand. And then we talk of local consumers who use a mobile application and web app to log their purchases when they buy products at retail outlets and when they consume products at home. And for the consumers to get paid, it's like Uber, they log once the logs are verified, they get paid and for the companies, it's a B2B SaaS platform where they have a subscription to access data on, let's say, 20 brands across a city for a year, or across a country, multiple cities for a year, or multiple countries. That's what we do today.
0: All right. Well, you're bridging the gap between offline and online and actually giving a very interesting tools to multinational companies to get a deeper understanding of, like, I would say, local markets
1: in in africa yeah yes as expected we've faced a huge huge range of challenges across the years and most challenges are chicken and egg problems what comes first these kind of problems appear mostly in the markets that we're in for instance where we started because of the startup ecosystem especially not being mature enough or advanced enough to solve for them so the first primary problem is to get your initial customers precede investment you build an mvp you get your initial customers to prove that this thing works. And then, of course, after that, you can do seed investment, start start building. But in Africa, this seed investment does not exist after, <laughs> from a founder's perspective, does not We understood because we were consulting for these companies before, so we understood exactly what they need, the absolute bare minimum, and we immediately went to market with that. So we went to market with a prototype and we started generating revenue with the prototype and we priced such that we're actually eventually generating profit with the low volume of customers because if you if you don't price it correctly then you'd have to get out of customers which you can't because you can't afford the team and resources for customer acquisition so then that becomes a problem so we had to do a lot of like some bigger subscriptions and through that we're able to finance our own growth we are profitable really fast because of that we hit profitability without getting any external capital at that point. And of course, along the way, the problems still persist. So you now have new problems. Now your company is dependent on profits. Can you now hire an engineering team to build a better product product? and eat up your profits. Well, you technically cannot because you don't have external capital because what external capital does, it allows you to invest in your future growth. If you're dependent on profits, you can't invest in your future growth because profits are the only thing that's keeping you alive. So you automatically fall into a threat or risk of becoming an SME. And that's, so you have multiple threats like that, that end up stopping the company. Of course, you win one, you have a new challenge, but we ended up, of course, as you know, we ended up deciding to move the business to the U.S. because the US uses a larger market, faster, it will, it will give us huge wiggle room for quicker customer acquisition, higher paying customers and external investment, which all of that subsequently happened.
0: Nice. Listening to you, that like you've come a long way, started community development projects, working volunteering, starting yeah. with all the ups and downs that you've been sharing. I would like to ask you as an individual and also as an entrepreneur, how do you celebrate success? Because you've reached also a point where you've enjoyed successes, your business is profitable. How do you celebrate success?
1: Yeah, so I celebrate success by unplugging, taking time off, I know it's very rare. And when we say, as founders, I think you know, when we say time off, we just mean we're just not on email, but we're maybe on Slack or, or WhatsApp.
0: <laughs> so our mind is completely still connected.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Our mind is always connected. But yeah, taking time off. Now celebrating because we are able to grow. Now we have a bigger team. We have more people in charge. My leadership style is always autonomy. So people have complete control of their functions. So I don't depend on me anymore to be there, to get things done and things like that. So now I can afford to take time off and when we have like huge wins, we take that was a different points, of course, but time off is the most valuable thing, I think, because I grinded for so many years without any time. Like I remember the Christmases and New Year's when I was up and working. So now that's the most, like time is the most valuable thing for me. So so time off is how I celebrate. That's
0: a beautiful way to to celebrate success. I, I love it. Me too. Yeah. Like I know you've talked about like moving the, the business to the US, et cetera. So, what is the next
1: target? Growth. So right now in the U.S., what we're doing is we're helping U.S. businesses export more, like get data, consumer demand data, and insights, help them capture new markets abroad. This is Latin America. We're already in Latin America, Africa, and South Asia. So we help businesses get, like, monitor our consumer demand in all these markets, and then correctly export with the right products, from their portfolio right skill right pricing targeting the correct consumers so you have hyper local messaging hyper packaging hyper local pricing and all that and identifying correct locations to place products with data and because of that we've grown we're growing very fast and significantly and our next target is getting to 10 million ARR by the end of next year because that to me my targets are always revenue based because revenue is the only from my perspective the correct, true measure of whether your business is growing or not. Uh, these other things of how much you raise blah, 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 thats just other stuff. Because you can raise hundred million dollars and you're making—you're not making any revenue. So that has, that wouldn't have proven, you know, whether your business is solid or has like a lot of demand or not. So, ten million ARR is our next target. One million mappers is our next target in terms of our network of local consumers across different countries. We are rolling out MAPA payouts we have solved the problem of payouts across multiple countries in Africa through our app through for our consumer network. And now we are solving for that across the world because in the business that we're in, you have a lot of infrastructural problems that make it impossible to get data from emerging markets. So as we solve the data problem, we end up solving all these parallel problems. So payouts was a primary problem. The second problem was the address system because the reason... Manufacturers can't find retailers or can't have eyes on the ground and so forth to send their sales team or delivery teams is because in Africa and the same thing we're seeing in South Asia and so forth. There's no address system. Locations don't have numbers and a proper address system. So at Ruazi we're building our own. We're using AI. We got three hundred fifty thousand from Google for AI to build the AI system for that. So we're building our own address system that manufacturers and and companies can use to locate sales channels and deploy their products and sales teams through that. So there's a lot of exciting stuff that we have in the background that we're working on, and I'm excited to see how that turns out.
0: Yeah, that sounds really exciting. We you all the best for that, and and we'll we'll keep an eye on your updates. Maybe next time you come and you give us more updates on that. Yes, yes. Joseph, we're reaching the end of listeners listening to us from the continent. What can it be?
1: I would say, now this is based on age, because based on age, then they have different challenges that they're going to face. I would say if they're young, they're in college and they want to be founders, the first thing, go into corporate, work for like three years after college, if you can. If you don't get a the job, then you have to think, because entrepreneurship isn't a substitute to employment. It's not that because you didn't get a job, then you're going to become a founder, you're going to fail. I would advise that you have to work for someone else for at least three years. And learn the structure, learn how much work it takes, learn a lot of things holistically about the business. Cause when you start, you only start with like one piece. So you're not going to be running like a full organization. So it's better to have worked for someone else to have an understanding of how things look like when they're already mature and a scale. So that's one. The second thing, when you have when you're picking co-founders. You either should be the best salesperson to ever live, or you have to pick the best person you've ever met in your life. The sales skills are more important than engineering and product and anything else. So sales is absolutely very important because hiring people is sales, getting customers is sales, getting investors is sales, everything is sales. Either yourself, the best salesperson you know, or you co-found a company with someone who is an absolute best person. And when you're picking co-founders, don't necessarily pick your age mates, pick someone from work, like someone from the industry that you want to get in. So you have expert knowledge and you're not cash dry, right? So from my perspective, you're most success. My Ruazi was my most successful venture because the ventures I started before Ruazi didn't go well because we were both students who we didn't have money and it didn't work. With Ruazi, I had already done consulting and all that. So Eric and I, had cash to put in up front and, we're, and we had industry knowledge with already doing consulting. So we knew we were the customer that we ended up serving afterwards. So that's a very big advantage later on when you succeed. And when you look in the market, you find that the successful startups are the ones founded that by people who are working for companies, solve problems when they were working in the industries they were working from and left to start the company. So that's the correct model. And then subsequently, when you go out to start, and a startup is not a science project, it's not a tech project, a startup is a business. So you should be leaning towards revenue first. Not my personal suggestion, especially when you're in Africa, product first, no one is going to really applaud you for product. People say, oh, what?" innovation in Africa and so forth, but no one is actually going to support you whether capital resource-wise and so forth for having a very beautiful platform that does magic. But people will support you if you have revenue. So put all your eggs in revenue, revenue first, profitability, and then we can talk about innovation, product and and AI and all this stuff. So I think that's the sequence that from my experience, my own experience, the experience of people, my friends, my founder friends and so forth, that's a correct combination To reduce, you always face challenges and it will always be a huge, huge stressful situation, but you will have reduced and mitigated some of those with that combination.
0: Well, thank you so much for these on-point advices and thank you so much for being part of the Entrepreneur's Talk Africa community. We really appreciate your insights and time to be on the show. We wish you all the best for what is coming next for Wazi and we will keep tab on the company.
1: Awesome, awesome. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Cheers. Cheers.
0: For the listeners out there, thank you very much for listening to the show. Today, I had the real pleasure of hosting Joseph Rutakangua, the founder and CEO of Rozi. So join us next week for a new episode, a new founder, a new uh, journey of uh, another entrepreneur, same as we have today with Joseph. Uh, so stay tuned and see you next week. Thanks.
1: Awesome. Awesome.